Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. On January 1st, 1959, at the stroke of midnight, millions of Americans were celebrating the new year. But among a group of car modders, mostly concentrated in the Mexican-American population of Southern California, the day had a dark connotation. It marked the passage of California Vehicle Code 24008, which made it illegal to operate any car that had parts lower than the bottom of its wheels' rims. Instead of making lowriders go away, however, the law backfired massively. Lowriders invented hydraulic systems that they could use to raise or lower their cars at the flick of a switch, setting off an era of mechanical and artistic innovation that made lowriding more popular than ever. The story of lowriders is a story of a subculture. Every low and slow step along the way, police, lawmakers, and the media tried to stop lowriders in their tracks, and every time, it only made the lowriders more determined to stick around. Just by driving through the streets of Los Angeles or San Jose, drivers were making a statement. We may be slow, but you can't stop us. We may be low, but you can't keep us down. How did the conflict between lowriders and the police play out? In what ways are lowriders, both cars and the drivers, inseparable from Chicano culture in the United States? Who are the modders and mechanics who made it all happen? And what about the magazines, movies, and one very memorable song that have become part of lowrider culture. All that and more on today's Gasolino Pasado. Take a little trip with us because the episode starts right now. That was one of my favorite songs as a child. My mom was a huge fan of War, uh, the band, not the... Uh, a tragedy of human <laughs> but existence. she does love like the act of war though right <laughs> yeah she lo- she's, she's a, a big fan of the korean war she's a big Spanish. sun Tzu head for sure but uh <laughs> I, I i love lo- war is a great band check them out if you haven't yeah. already um hey welcome to pass gas everyone 
I am your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my other hosts, <laughs> James Pumphrey. Hello, America and beyond. <laughs> what is that? Hello. And <laughs> Joe Weber. Fired <laughs> up. War. Everybody love war, right? No. Nope. And- okay, just me. <laughs> As uh, as we uh, said in the intro, today's episode is all about the history of lowriders in the U.S. Um, being in L.A., like I don't, I don't feel like I see them as often as I should down here. You should see them in your neighborhood. I, I, there's like a strip in my neighborhood where they gather once in a while mm-hmm. uh, next to Lincoln Park in East Los Angeles, and so I feel like I see them pretty regularly. Maybe like once a month, there's a meet. But we stumbled upon one, a big meet. Oh, yeah. With like thousands of lowriders at our normal spot next to the LA River. Uh-huh. And it wasn't even planned. We're like, let's just go down to the river. And then, like, we show up and there's like amazing, like thousands of amazing lowriders. That was really, really cool. Um, and that was like a cool moment of just being reminded, like, oh, yeah, like we're in LA. This is yeah. awesome. This is like the epicenter of. No, you're right. There's there are a few in my neighborhood, but like I've I've yet to see like you know like a really done up one with like the candy paint yeah. and like a, an actual old classic. Usually, there's one I saw a Lincoln Town Car on like Dayton's, and it was rolling with like three of its or one of its wheels in the air. Oh, nice! That three wheel motion. Yeah, three wheel motion going down <laughs> Crenshaw. It was awesome. Cruising on Crenshaw. Cruising on Crenshaw, man. As somebody who didn't grow up in Southern California, that is like the most LA group of sentences ever that you just said. <laughs> it's like in that three wheel, like town car, rolling down Crenshaw. It's like, oh. Going to In and Out. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all the words from the songs. It is, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I think it's so cool. Just like, like I love a good FU story. Like, I think it's just so interesting that these guys, like the cops were like, well, you know what? We'll just make their low cars illegal. And these yeah. dudes are like, you know what? We're going to invent <laughs> robotic cars <laughs> that jump. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> it's like it's like Iron Man. It's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is a different side to uh, the car culture that we normally cover. You know, a lot of our, a lot of the, the stories we talk about, especially on this show, but especially on the, the YouTube channel are, are like, you know, very performance oriented driving kind of as fast as you can, the engineering behind. Never looking back. Yeah, what, uh, it, what it takes to make a car that capable. But this is more like all about the style and just having a cool car, you know? And going slow. And going slow, not worried about zero to 60 times. And showboating. Yeah, it's all about style. Bajito y suavecito, low and slow. In low rider culture, these are words to live by. Not just a style but an entire cultural philosophy. Instead of speed, the emphasis is on style. Instead of power, the question is whether or not a car can raise and lower, tilt and bounce. The tires are tiny, clearances minimal, paint jobs intricate, interiors very plush. Each car is a -a one-of-a-kind work of art. The cars themselves were expressions of their owners' identities, but perhaps even more remarkably, they were cars with their own identities, with names like Crazy Camino, Dressed to Kill, penthouse and like a pimp (laughs) they're like monster trucks yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) the lowrider movement was also political 
As a journalist of the 1970s wrote, quote, low writing culture expresses the refusal of a young Chicano American to be anglicized. There's never been a clearer case of the automobile being used as an ethnic statement. When Mexican Americans drove lowriders, they were both claiming their identity and refusing to become invisible. Hassled by cops, pigeonholed by the media, and profiled by the general public, there was often a cost. But the reward, as it is so often in car culture, was freedom. The history of lowriding is as old as the history of Los Angeles car culture itself. If you've been to LA, or even if you haven't, you're probably aware that it's a spread out city of wide boulevards and busy highways. You pretty much need a car to get around, and that's been the case for over a century of the city's history. As early as the 1920s, the city had an auto ownership rate of one car for every 2.25 people. Compare that to the national average at the time, which was one car for every seven people. And it's because the tire companies paid to have the public transit. Yeah, they down. show it in the documentary Roger Rabbit. <laughs> it's it's very enticing to say that there was a you know a wide conspiracy there probably was there was definitely benefit for certain parties to shut it down but also people also liked having their own cars yeah so it was a mix of things almost as soon as cars got into the hands of angelinos enterprising owners dissatisfied with the stock sameness of cars like the ford model a or the chrysler 58 quickly got into modifying them, adding power and stripping weight to create hot rods, which back in the day were known as hop-ups or gow jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that word has died out. What is a gow? I have no idea. Let's but bring that back. Yeah, we got to bring back gow jobs. Gow jobs. That's so funny. <laughs> My girlfriend said no more gow jobs till I get the ones I have running. <laughs> Whoa. Gow job. My girlfriend says I got to get a real job and get rid of all my gow jobs. <laughs> gow jobs. Okay, so I, I found an, an ent- a blog post on jalopyjournal.com talking about the term gow job. And just cool. like hopped up or souped up, right? How that, that came from like racehorse, giving racehorses like pills. Perform- pills or drugs to improve their yeah. performance. Gow was also a nickname for like drugs as well. Hmm. Oh. So you're you're gowing up your horse. It's a gow job. Got it. Uh, there you go. While the initial focus was on speed, uh, some modders quickly became interested in how far they could push the envelope in other ways. The Great Depression of the 1930s was an added incentive for car enthusiasts to fix up and modify older cars rather than buying the latest and greatest. The predominant car culture was creating hot rods, but there was a counterculture developing, especially among the Mexican-American community, that was a direct reaction to the dominant, mostly white, hot rod scene. At first, it wasn't known as low riding. It was just lowering your car. Also popular was chopping, or lowering the roof of the car, decorating the vehicle's exterior with designs, and replacing stock interior components with plush, luxury substitutes. Still, the term low rider hadn't yet been coined. In the 30s, the clear predecessor of lowrider history in the Chicano community was the Pachuco style, a slang word that roughly translates to punk or troublemaker. Pachucos were known for wearing zoot suits, slicking their hair back in ducktails, a distinctive pattern of slang, and an association with swing and jazz music. These dudes look so cool. I, I watch like archival footage of them, and they're just like 
I wish I could pull that style off. My grandpa had a zoot suit back in the day. <laughs> I wish that you were the same like personality and you had the same job and hobbies, but you just wore a zoot suit every day. <laughs> oh my god! I'm like uh, accidentally slamming the coattails of my zoot suit in my Impreza. <laughs> Yeah, these guys do look pretty cool. Still, Pachucos weren't necessarily associated with a specific style of automobile. It wasn't until the 50s that Mexican-American culture started to really embrace the lowrider aesthetic. In the 1950s, many white hot rodders chose to raise their car, turning away from the sleek look that had been popular before the war. In the words of Chicano artist Gabriel Gaetan, white drivers, quote, went into hot rods and fast cars. They would raise their cars and get these big old motors, these big trucks, but the Raza, uh, which is Spanish for the race, says, nah, I want to do the opposite. I want to do it nice and slow. Slow and low. The 1950s saw the true emergence of lowrider culture, especially in Los Angeles. In the post-war period, Los Angeles was a hub for American auto manufacturing, second only to Detroit, with Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors all operating assembly plants in the area. Imagine if that was still true. That'd be cool. <sighs> yeah be a lot less tent cities to understand lowrider culture you have to understand the history of los angeles and its mexican population originally founded as a spanish mission to spread catholicism in the 1700s by the 1800s it had evolved into a farming and ranching hub while the landowners were initially of spanish and mexican descent by the 1850s white americans began to dominate los angeles's economy and government surprise surprise Although Mexican-Americans and even Chinese immigrants outnumbered white Americans, white Angelinos still held most of the political power in the city. While the white neighborhoods of Los Angeles boomed, Chicano and Hispanic populations were increasingly regulated to urban ghettos or barrios, especially in the East Los Angeles area, away from the Pacific Ocean and the downtown core. At first, these neighborhoods were little more than shanty towns, but after World War II, the population of LA began to explode. The city had one of the largest populations of Mexican people living anywhere in the world, including Mexico. Thousands of Mexican Americans who had served in the war returned or moved to Los Angeles, and with the cash stipend provided by the GI Bill, many of these vets had the income to afford a car. Of course, despite the improved economic times, Mexican-American communities were still far from the luxury of Beverly Hills or the film set glamour of Hollywood. Why'd you say Hollywood weird? <laughs> I think he was trying to say that convincingly, knowing that Hollywood is not very glamorous. Uh, Anymore. Yeah. You know? I'm sure back in the day it was, but okay. The, a thing I find funny and interesting is seeing like tourist families, like German tourists, <laughs> And like oh they're it with like their blonde hair and jean shorts, like walking around Hollywood, just like so confused. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, "Where are the stars? And <laughs> why is Spider Man so fat? <laughs> it's just I... like a piss soaked, disgusting <laughs> yeah. place full of like yeah forty dollars suit stores and like weird pizza places." <laughs> if you're coming to L.A., don't go to Hollywood. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Plus, all the studios are like in Culver. All the like studio, Sony. yeah, Sony's in color, but most of them are in uh, North Hollywood. Yeah. With their means of expression limited, lowriders became an important symbol of personal expression, freedom, and cultural independence. 
Lowrider historians Alberto Polito and Rigo Reyes identified the twin values of the lowrider community as orgullo, meaning pride, and respecto, meaning respect. While those are important, there's a third Spanish word that also helps in capturing the spirit of lowriders. The word is, and I apologize, my Spanish pronunciation is embarrassing for how close I live to the word. The word is <laughs> rascua. The word is rascuaquismo, a term coined by Chicano scholar Tomas Ibarra Frausto to describe an underdog attitude that includes playfulness and spontaneity, defiant and inventive, but also irreverent. That's like us, guys. When you see a low-slung car, especially the modern versions that can bounce up and down, it's funny. <laughs> That's part of its charm. <laughs> that is rascuachismo. Oh, like you're a rascal. It's like uh, yeah. It's like Shakespearean, little, yeah. little rascal, little little troublemaker. <laughs> Early cars that were popular in the East Los Angeles modding scene included the 1948 Chevy Fleetline, a fluidly designed beast of steel and glass with an ostentatious multi-layered chrome grille. I gotta check this thing out. Oh yeah! Oh dude! Hell oh, yeah! That's sick. And it's got like a fast vac. That's a Nolan car for sure. That is a very nice car. That's so sick. That's like the black one we saw at the meet. Pretty close. Lowered. I think the one that we saw was even older than this. Oh, wow. Um, but I love that little visor. Oh, uh, yeah. The visors are cool. But like Volkswagen culture and lowrider culture are not that different. It's like low and slow. Mm -hmm. None of our cars are fast. That's fair. Yeah. I have conifer paint, suavecito y rapido on my back window. <laughs> I mean, that just means smooth and fast. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like james yeah. uh other cars that were popular at the time were the 1950 chevy bel-air and the 1950 mercury hardtops you gotta get a mercury those things are bad ass dude you oh gotta get a mercury dude you got to bro <laughs> you got to dude this thing is a lead sled for sure yeah um, lead sleds are cool dude you haven't lived until you've been in a 2003 marauder <laughs> To lower the cars, uh, modders used smaller tires to get the cars as close to the ground as possible. Their suspension coils were also cut short, and perhaps most low-tech of all, trunks were filled with sacks of cement or bricks, <laughs> which is the Home Depot method of low riding. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Although I don't think I'd want to drive around with a bunch of bricks in my trunk. Without cut springs, small tires, with a trunk full of bricks. <laughs> Awful. Many of the vets who served in the war came back with welding and metalworking experience, and these skills were put to use building custom parts. No less important to achieve the lowrider look was custom paint jobs, another skill that many customizers had learned during wartime, painting ships and aircraft. Going back to the weights in their trunk, uh -huh. we interviewed this dude in Long Beach that customizes lowriders. I can't remember his name. Long Beach Lloyd. Long Beach Lloyd. Yeah, he's a crazy dude. He's, does, his work is so cool. But he was talking about the weights in the trunk because they still do that. They have like lead bricks and stuff. Um, but you get clowned if you're, you bounce and the weights fall out of your trunk and they just leave them in the middle of the road <laughs> and like peel out and get out of there because you get clowned for that. <laughs> An example of a post-war shop was Gill's Auto Body Works in East LA on Olympic Boulevard run by brothers Gill and Al Ayala. Gil worked the front of the shop and painted cars while Al was the master fabricator. 
The brothers worked on both pre- and post-war cars from a 1940 Mercury Coupe that they chopped down seven inches to a 1951 GMC truck that Gil painted flames and Al built a massive chrome plaque reading Gil's Auto Body Works right on the grill. That's cool. Nice. That's like my grill. Someone 3D printed uh, a Joe badge for my car. I love that. I decided to put that on. Like everyone working on custom cars, the Ayalas were in it for the passion, not the money. Al worked a day job at a Chevy dealer to make ends meet, and Gil's wife Lucille helped out with the bookkeeping. By the 1950s, many of the drivers with low and slow cars, keep in mind that low rider wasn't yet a popular term, started to organize into clubs. These included organizations with colorful names like the Honey Drippers, the Pan Draggers, the Street Scrappers, the Cutouts, and the Renegades. Have you ever had the Honey Drippers with the Cutouts? Yum, yum, yum. That's a good brekkie. <laughs> Clubs. Cut oats. <laughs> the cut oats, a little bit of the honey drippers on top. Mm, mm, right. mm, that's a good right. healthy breakfast. All right, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's so good. It's a pan drag right? Drag okay. Pan okay. Yeah. Come on, guys. The clubs would cruise Los Angeles, congregating in places like the Miracle Mile of West LA, Alvera Street downtown, and Lincoln Park in East that's LA. What I'm talking about crawling in my skin enough digressions (laughs) in those days lincoln park was a hub of mexican-american culture in addition to lowriders on weekends you were likely to hear mariachi music mixed with the smell of grilling from taco stands sounds amazing at night low and slow riders would often congregate at local chains like the clock drive-in so-called car hop restaurants where you were served in your vehicle giving you the chance to show it off illuminated in the neon lights of the eatery. That sounds so I wouldn't sick. want anyone eating in my lowrider. Hell no. Spent $70,000 on this thing. Get your freaking Sonic burger out of here. <laughs> Around the 50s and the formation of lowriding clubs, lowriders started to have a more antagonistic relationship with the Los Angeles Police Department. It was nothing new for Mexican-Americans, who had been treated as second-class citizens for decades in a city that relegated them to the barrios. The media joined in, suggesting that low and slow cars were gangs of criminals roaming the cities, terrorizing white Angelinos. Cops started regularly pulling over lowriders, citing the damage caused to the street by the car scraping the pavement. (laughs) Were there gang members with low suspension cars? Uh, Probably. But not everyone who drove one of these cars was a criminal. After all, if you're a criminal patrolling the streets of L.A. for crime, would you really want to drive in the flashiest possible car with tiny wheels that would <laughs> make any sort of escape impossible? With the formation of these clubs, lowrider culture started to go beyond cars. Most of the groups had ornate outfits, typically stadium jackets with a ribbed collar and waist. The lowrider aesthetic was applied not just to cars, but to bikes, tricycles, motorcycles, trucks, and vans. We should do like a, a very limited drop of satin jackets. Yeah, maybe donut for jackets. Maybe for Donut Underground. Oh. Uh, if you want to find out more about Donut Underground, we'll put a link in the description below. Everyone has jackets. <laughs> Everyone we're getting we might get jackets this year. As Nolan mentioned in the intro, following pressure by the media and the police, California passed a statewide law in 1959 banning lowered cars. The new regulation was vehicle code number 20048, better known as the lay low law. Of course, safety was never the true concern behind the new rule. The intent was to ban a movement that had begun on the predominantly Latino east side of Los Angeles. Dude, I cannot overstate how how much bullshit this is. You know? 
just like, hey, um, got these guys driving cars low and slow. And you know what? That kind of like bugs my neighborhood. It just bugs my sensitive eyes. So can we? They're so dangerous. They're so dangerous. They're getting in the way of all these white guys trying to drive really fast. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, how are we going to drag race when there's guys going slow in front of us and they're low cars? Our cars are high and fast. We're going to ramp right over them and go to the moon too early. (laughs) It just shows that uh, even though like L.A. has like a reputation for being like a really like, you know, granola soft city, you know? Like this place is a hole, dude. L.A. Yeah. is the There's, worst city on the planet. It's, it's like such a hundred years of us trying to stomp on Latino communities. I wish I didn't have to live here. James, there seems to be a trend. You move to L.A., you have a good time for about five years, and then you start to like really then your opinion starts to change. And then once you hit that 10 year mark and beyond, you're like, OK, I got I, I want to leave. Uh, but that's when you like find finally find a good apartment and a like good, yeah. after 10 years you finally have a good apartment and like a job yeah and you can now you can't leave yeah for the record i still love los angeles i love this place. i i love it there's like i wouldn't live anywhere else we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality it can be hard just to know where to start but now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. 
We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Instead of ending the culture, code number 20048 would backfire more spectacularly than any law in history. That's probably a little hyperbolic. As innovators on the scene employed hydraulics that would allow them to raise and lower their car on command. A cop passed by, you hit a switch and raise your car. The innovation of these hydraulic systems actually began before the Lalo law passed, with Ron Aguera frequently credited for installing a hydraulic system in his 1957 Corvette nicknamed Exonic. This is really sick. You guys should definitely click that link because it's it's uh, not just your regular Corvette. This thing is a custom built, very very. Whoa! Sick. It's got like a bubble whoa. top. He installed like some fins on the tail. He Dude, totally that thing, the front that end. bubble top is probably from an airplane. Possibly. That's amazing. I love the like metallic gold vinyl. Yeah, I think this thing. I love the wheels. The fitment is like on point too. Yeah. Well, now it's like, oh man, this bugs me even more because this is exactly what the rat fink guy did mm-hmm. white people are trying to stomp these people down but then eventually they steal the ideas from them so it's like yeah what the f- the exonic is probably not what you think when you imagine a lowrider car it's more jetsons than pimp my ride the corvette part of the car is almost entirely obscured under massive pontoon shaped Front and rear fenders that extend the length of the car by over a foot. A plastic bubble top covers the cockpit, which can be raised and lowered with a remote control box. But most notably, according to Motor Trend, the front suspension was a hydraulic electric affair that Agaira could raise or lower for car show audiences. Very cool. While a car was whimsical, the reason for its existence was not. Even before vehicle code 20048 was enacted, Ron found himself hassled on the street by the cops. At Paley's surplus, he found hydraulics that had originally been used on the wings of a B-52 bomber. After the cars raising and lowering caused a huge stir at the Long Beach Memorial Day car show of 1958, Ron and his dad, Louis, opened a shop to install the hydraulics for paying customers. That's very cool. That's very cool. I love that thing. Awesome car. Awesome car. Awesome. But it was hot. Yeah, but it was I, hot. In yeah, there. I would not want like a greenhouse canopy like that, <sighs> and no window. Yeah, <laughs> better make sure it's got AC. At first, these hydraulic systems were very pricey, but as more mechanics learned the craft, parts were standardized and the prices dropped. It's unclear whether the use of hydraulics was what brought along the term lowrider. Another theory is that the term referred not to the car but the drivers themselves. Modders would often lower the front seats so that their eyes barely cleared the steering wheel. That's one thing. Okay, that's the one part of like low rider modding I don't understand is sitting super low in the car. It does look cool as hell, but I don't want to like crash. You, know? you just explained it, Nolan. All right, fair enough. Whittier Boulevard in East LA was a, also a hot spot in the 60s scene. Many of the storefronts had big glass front windows that reflected the cars as they drove by. Clubs like the In Crowd, the Dirty Boys, Orpheus, <laughs> New Life, Sons of Soul, and the East Crowd. I'd be a dirty boy. Dirty boy? I'm a dirty boy yeah. through and through. Oftentimes, the club would obtain a parade permit to avoid any trouble with the police. 
but not always, and sometimes there was trouble. The lowrider scene was also vibrant south of Los Angeles in San Diego. There, the scene shared crossover with neighboring Tijuana, and San Diego lowrider clubs would often cross the border to cruise the Avenida Revolución. It was about more than just cars, though. Many of the clubs were active in charity work with local orphanages, fire departments, and other community organizations, organizing interclub dances and parades to raise funds. Of course, not all lowrider activity was peaceful. The Duke's Car Club of Los Angeles is widely considered to be the oldest lowrider club in existence, formed in 1962 by brothers Julio, Fernando, Oscar, and Ernesto Ruelas. The four young men had been born in Tijuana before moving as children to South Central LA. It was there, out of the simple need for survival, that the boys had joined the 38th Street Gang. It was the brother's uncle, Tinker, who would encourage the boys to spend time with him exploring the local junkyards instead of selling junk on the streets. Once the brothers had established the Dukes as a lowrider club, a rivalry bloomed between the club and the 38th Street Gang that the brothers had previously been a part of. Oscar drove a 1952 maroon Chevy they referred to as the Brown Jug. His brother Ernesto drove a 56 Chevy nicknamed Mr. Know-It-All. <laughs> As the club gained prominence, eventually branching out and establishing chapters in Ventura and San Jose, its rivalry with the 38th Street Gang cooled as the gang realized that the lowriders were bringing honor to the neighborhood and presumably not interfering with the 38th Street's criminal activities. Lowrider clubs would also create plaques, very shiny gold, silver, or diamond-encrusted emblems spelling out the name of the group that could be displayed prominently in the car. Uh, you usually see these like in the rear window of lowriders. Yeah. yeah, I want to make donut ones. <laughs> these plaques were often exchanged and collected among clubs as signs of respect. That's pretty cool. That's cool. Perhaps the most emblematic of the 60s lowriding style was a car known as Gypsy Rose, a 1963 Impala owned by Jesse Valadez of the Imperials Car Club. The design, partially inspired by the colorful facades of Mexican restaurants, is an impossibly ornate design of 72 roses along every surface of the car. An estimated 20 gallons of clear coat were used to give the Whoa. pink car an otherworldly glow. That's amazing. Inside, the car was outfitted with plush pink, and from the C-pillars hung two miniature chandeliers with a single light apiece. In 2017, the car became the first lowrider to be included in the National Historic Vehicle Register, and is currently on display at the Peterson Automotive Museum. We've seen this car. Yeah. Yeah. This thing is like, it just glows when you walk, walk past it. It's, it's a amazing. pretty amazing sight for sure. Uh, but it's also proof that at its best, lowriders are an art form on par with any other. Yeah, and you know, they can be seen right next to low car. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the first, pla I believe, the first plasti-dipped car to ever be <laughs> in a museum. By the 1970s, low riding was becoming increasingly mainstream. Hydraulics had evolved from merely raising and lowering the car to actually giving their vehicles the ability to bounce up and down or hop as they drove down the streets. Drivers also learned to lower the rears of their cars to throw off showers of sparks. Hopping became competitive with organized competitions known as car hops. Two judges would hold measuring sticks next to the wheels, measuring jump height as if it were an Olympic event. Lowriding reached its peak of public popularity, not with an individual car or driver, but with a song. Founded in 1969, War was a funk rock band that Nolan's mom loved from <laughs> Long Beach, California, 
with a fusion sound including elements of rock, funk, jazz, reggae, and more. War's members were as diverse as its sound. While it was founded by two black men, there were also Hispanic and white members, a musical rarity at the time. The song was Lowrider, a track off War's 1975 album, Why Can't We Be Friends. I feel like Casey Kasem. It hit number one on the Billboard <laughs> R&B chart, <laughs> becoming a pop culture sensation. One of those needle drop songs that instantly evokes a mood that is simultaneously jubilant and cool. It's so awesome. Over a bouncy bass line and triumphant horns, its lyrics are a simple tribute to the chill confidence of Chicano car culture. Read this in your best war styling. I think I do think I do think saying lyrics makes you like think that like think about them in a different way than if you sing them poorly. So All right, go ahead. My go vote ahead. goes to like be, like I'm not gonna. You don't sing this song. It's not a sung song. It's like talky singy. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, James. All my friends know the low rider. The low rider is a little higher. The low rider drives a little slower. The low rider is a real goer. <laughs> See? So much more impactful. You it it did kind of sound like Ben Shapiro reads the lyrics oh, to okay. the walk. So <laughs> All my friends. All, All my every friends. one of my friends. No, no, none of my friends know the low rider. <laughs> if it's a low rider, then why does it ride? Why is it higher? That doesn't make sense. You have sense. to think about it logically, all right? My <laughs> father knows music, and yeah. <laughs> all my friends know the low rider. is a little higher. Such a great song, dude. Two years after War's song, Lowrider culture was further validated by the founding of Lowrider magazine. Started by San Jose State students Larry Gonzalez, Sonny Madrid, and David Nunez, according to the LA Times, the magazine was founded with the mission of providing a voice for the Bay Area Chicano community. Hmm. It got off to a slow start, and it, quote, wasn't until Lowrider started putting bikini-clad models on its covers at the end of 1979 that sales began to accelerate. It wasn't so great for the inaugural model, a schoolgirl named Mona, who, according to the LA Times, was suspended from her Catholic high school for posing on Lowrider's cover. The high school they- <laughs> what? More positively, until it folded in 2019 with every other magazine, um, the magazine offered a scholarship for its readers and frequently featured letters from subscribers talking about how the magazine inspired them to take pride in their Chicano heritage. At its peak, the magazine held car shows that attracted hundreds of thousands of fans and spawned five spinoff titles, including Lowrider Euros, Lowrider Truck, and even Lowrider Bicycle aimed at preteens and teenagers who, without a license, were stuck with two wheels. The inaugural issue featured articles on the Bajitos de Valla Bike Club, a psychedelic Schwinn, and even a DIY section on how to patch a tire. Hmm. While Lowrider Magazine was founded with the intent of chronicling a culture, it quickly generated a cultural force of its own. A prime example is the comic strip, The Adventures of Hollywood, written and illustrated by a California cartoonist named David Gonzalez. The cartoon featured characters from Gonzalez's life growing up in the barrio with colorful character names like 8-Ball, Smiley, Big Loco, and Sapo. In 1998, 
Gonzalez created a set of figurines based on these characters, branded yes. homies. I love homies. And they quickly became a massive toy fad. A million homies sold in the first four months of sale. I remember homies. Didn't they come yeah. in those little, uh, those like quarter machines? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm sure. I'm going to try and find a bulk homies order. Uh, so if you watch if you're watching this on youtube next time check that little dresser back there hopefully there'll be 150 little homies on it <laughs> i remember i got the little dude in the wheelchair <laughs> there's like dogs yeah the dogs yeah. Oh even God. with something as harmless as a toy there was a backlash that was eerily that was eerily reminiscent of the controversy over lowriders According to one journalist, the Los Angeles Police Department claimed that homies were clearly designed to glorify gang members. Oh my Stores God, like Walmart on. and Safeway dropped the toys. Ironically, there was literally nothing inherently violent about the figurines, <laughs> although they were dressed in what some people criticized as stereotypical Chicano clothing. They didn't carry weapons or have any negative backstory. Just like with lowriders, it was people filling in the blanks with their own racially based fear that led to the backlash. And just like with the little writers, the controversy only helped fuel the popularity of homies. The of toys would go on to sell millions more, making David Gonzalez a very rich homie indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you can get an assortment of 10 random homies on Amazon for $32. That's oh, cool. What, that's the yeah, markup. That's they expensive. used to cost 50 cents. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Homies Series 7 bulk factory wholesale bag of 100 figurines. Rare or retired, new, 100 bucks. That's worth it. I bet there's a lot of cents. I think there's a lot of repeats. Well, just get it and then we can all share. You got you to gotta find a way to spend that stimulus check, dude. I think I just want like a poster with all of them. Yeah, I want like the definitive little homies guide. Yeah. Meanwhile, technical innovations were making it easier than ever to to get into low riding. Although he's hardly a household name, a guy named Andy Douglas was a key player in bringing low riding to the masses. Andy grew up on the east side of San Jose, a hub for low riding. At the tender age of 11, he joined a gang known as the Calleros, Spanish for street wanderers. And when we say gang, we don't mean low rider club. This was the bad kind of gang. Andy's dad, a diesel mechanic, tried to give his son a healthier way to channel his energy and gave him a 1952 Chevy to work on. That's awesome. The distraction worked. Andy got sucked into the world of cars. By the time he was 15, he'd restored the car and moved on to a 1964 Impala, his first lowrider. A friend by the name of Poppy got Andy deeper into the culture. Specifically, in Andy's words, quote, the LA look, the 520s, the front lifted, and the rear slammed. On his first trip down to Los Angeles, teenage Andy's mind was blown by a visit to Whittier Boulevard on the east side. Especially impressive to him were the hydraulic rigs, at that point, Pally's surplus in the valley, a place where Ron Aguirre had first found the airplane parts to put on his ex-Sonic, was still the place to go. Andy went to Pally's and bought all the airplane parts he thought he needed. He returned to San Jose and installed the hydraulics on his Impala, and after some trial and error, he could be as low and as slow as he wanted at the flick of a switch. By any car-crazed teenager standard, Andy was living the dream, but his story didn't end there. Soon after the hydraulic install, fellow high school student offered to buy the Impala off of Andy. He brushed off the offer until the guy came back with a counter offer of $10,000. Andy took the deal. He came away not just with cash, 
but with the beginnings of what would soon become a booming business he called the New Style Car Club. At first, Andy would drive down to LA on a weekly basis to pick up hydraulic parts. But by 1975, he had grown enough to open his own business, the plainly named Andy's Hydraulics. At this point, lowriders had started using gate pumps instead of airline parts. These were parts that had been designed to lift tailgates on industrial trucks. Andy's innovation was to go directly to Fenner Stone, the pump manufacturer, and make a pump specifically tailored towards the needs of lowriders. The result was the first standardized hydraulics kit, perfectly timed in history to be advertised in the pages of the newly formed Lowrider magazine. Nice. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, in 1979, a movie called Boulevard Nights saw lowrider culture receive its first major depiction on the big screen. But the film was far from complimentary. Although it depicted genuinely incredible cars of the era, the trailer promised that lowriders cruise a whole world that's just a boulevard wide, while the cholos live with a vengeance one night at a time. <laughs> The film depicts a gang war in East L.A., and for many white viewers, it cemented the association of lowriders with gang culture. The New York Times, in a review from the time, was critical of the movie, saying that it trivializes the Mexican-American experience by equating it with melodrama of many other minor movies about gang wars. Although lowriders were now a mainstay of the Los Angeles auto scene, police and lawmakers didn't stop looking for ways to crack down on the scene. 20 years after the 1959 vehicle code that banned low cars, the city of Los Angeles took drastic action to curtail low-riding culture. An LA Times article from the summer of 79 sums up the general sentiment, writing patronizingly of the low-rider scene on Whittier Boulevard that, quote, it's an odd ritual across among a harmless urban mating dance, a California car obsession, a relief from boredom and a senseless flirtation with death that brings a subculture of Mexican-American teenagers to this incorporated section of East L.A., just east of the Long Beach Freeway on a weekend night. But it's a tradition gone sour, tarnished by gang violence, and in a matter of weeks, it will come to a screeching halt, at least on the mile-long strip of Whittier between Atlantic Boulevard and Eastern Avenue that recently gained National attention as the scene of the film Boulevard Nights. Uh, I auditioned for it. <laughs> according, and according to the sheriff, um, in the past year and a half, 16 homicides have occurred on Whittier Boulevard. 50% of all gang-related deaths in East Los Angeles. Uh, so. like, I know it's a perfect voice, but it kind of sounds like Jonathan Gold. <laughs> I love Jonathan Gold. I love him too. Uh, and uh, speaking of, and while you're on Whittier Boulevard, um, stop by. Check out this uh, Lebanese burrito <laughs> spot. 
A striking black and white photograph accompanying the news story shows an image of a movie theater on the corner of Whittier and Atlantic Boulevard with Boulevard Nights spelled out on the marquee, but in front of the marquee are a series of road closed signs. If art imitates life, life often seems to go out of its way to avoid imitating art. It, you know, the, the, the public uh, kind of, not outrage, but the public disfavor towards lowriders and Whittier because of movies is like, it just shows that like, there's really nothing, this is nothing new, you know? It's so annoying that like, a movie will come out that mischaracterizes one group or another entirely for the sake of entertainment, you know? And then people take a movie as documentary fact Mm-hmm. And, and justify their own biases with the movie. Well, yeah. it's because our schools suck. Nobody, yeah. it's a bunch <laughs> of things. Nobody like, knows yeah, how to read. Suck. Nobody reads. Everyone's like, oh, well, that's about as much time as I'm willing to put into figuring this out. Yeah. So, the movie well, said. We don't, we don't have magazines anymore to help us uh, get the bigger picture. You know now it's saying? not even a whole movie. It's freaking TikTok. Everyone's watching the TikToks learn. That's what they think the news is. I mean, you're, yeah. Do not make TikTok your primary news source. <laughs> um, if just, It's unclear when the Whittier Boulevard closings ended, but the early 80s saw the formation of the West Coast Lowrider Association, a group of six-color clubs with the goal of unifying lowriders both to ensure that they followed the rules and also to amplify their political voice. Lowrider Magazine played a big role as well in making lowrider culture accessible to people beyond the California-Mexican community. Sadly, though, the magazine folded in December of 2019, but its demise likely says more about the fate of print media than that of lowriders. While the popularity of lowriders goes up and down like a 64 Impala on hydraulics, the impact they've had on our culture is unmistakable. Lowriding culture blossomed everywhere from South America to Japan, where groups of lowriders still meet in the trendy Shibuya neighborhood of Tokyo. Wherever lowrider culture travels, it seems to equally incorporate the local culture. A Jalopnik article profiling a Japanese club known as the Hooties featured cars that included a pink Toyota Hiace as well as so-called USDM-style Hondas. Lowriders also gained prominence among black communities in Los Angeles, including the Majestics, California's oldest black lowrider car club. Meanwhile, the lowrider culture keeps evolving, keeping it low and slow over the decades. The 90s saw a boom of lowrider pickup trucks. Hell yeah, love those mini trucks with beds that raised and lowered independently. Awesome. The 2000s saw lowrider-inspired designs become further absorbed into the mainstream as Pimp My Ride took much of the custom modding that had originated in the lowrider scene and turned it into a hit MTV show. Lowriders have showed up in video games like Grand Theft Auto, countless music videos, and have become inseparable from the public's image of Southern California urban life. Still, wherever lowrider culture travels, it retains its rasqua, raspa, kismo. Yeah, not so fun, is it, Nolan? <laughs> it's not. You're right, James. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Speaking of just being just a idiot. Still, wherever I'm, pot, I'm pot calling the kettle black. I'm an idiot. You're an idiot. Just <laughs> beefy white dudes with a beard who don't know how to read or... And one super smart guy with just stubble. <laughs> Still, wherever lowrider culture travels, it retains its rasquaquismo roots, its sense of both coolness and rebellion, and its outsider status. Lowriders are not just car culture. They're a reaction to car culture. 
The cars have provided a gateway for countless Chicanos to connect with their cultural identity, cultivating their senses of orgullo and respeto, pride and respect. Nice. Yeah. I like I, that one. You know, as I mentioned earlier, like I really love living in Los Angeles, and part of it is that that Chicano Mexican American flavor that we have oh, down 1, here. One thousand percent. That's it's like one of my favorite is, things. It's like a big, I mean, a huge part of the culture of Los Angeles. I mean. And, uh, that's mostly like East LA and all that, but like everywhere you go in LA, there's a different sort of a vibe. You know, West LA, especially in like Sawtell, very a large Japanese population, which gives that its own uh, profile. And uh, that's one of my favorite parts of living in the city is just all the different cultures that really meld into one, and they all play off each other and influence each other to create something that's just a really great place to live. Yeah, it's a cool little mixing pot, and I feel like. Right now, there aren't that many like clashing cultures in LA. Like everyone kind of plays well together. Mm-hmm. You can go to a car show and see a bunch of different types of cars, and no one's like, "Oh, that sucks." Like, it's pretty cohesive. I went to a uh, a a Ford show that was near you, Joe. There's like that. There's a section where like all these houses have been moved to like this. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it's like all old victorian houses yeah it's like a whole little town right next to the freeway but it's like a museum almost you can go in these houses yeah but there's a car show over there that was oh, staged really cool. well and there's a few low riders and it just it was like such a la moment that's so funny to think because the exit to that street <laughs> is the most terrifying exit of i i would no, say you're right. like any highway in america <laughs> it's about 10 feet long and it ends with a 90 degree yeah. turn <laughs> and you have worst. to go from 55 miles per hour to zero miles per hour in 10 feet. It's it. Joe is not kidding. It's it is terrifying. Anyway, I'm glad that we brought this podcast about Los Angeles back around to talk about streets again. Uh, it's a great <laughs> bookend for this episode. I love lowriders. Obviously, want to incorporate a little bit of lowrider aesthetic into the Chrysler, James. You, you with your oh, yeah. Volkswagen as well. Of course, I don't want to be like, but I, I don't want to be the white guy that's just doing that. You know, I'll be, I'll do, I'll do it too. So you will be both the white <laughs> yeah. guy doing it, and I'll chop the top of my Forerunner. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've actually seen a Jeep Cherokee with a chop top. There was a guy that oh, did that it in Slow County. Cool. It was very strange. I don't know what the <laughs> rationale was. Maybe better Can you gas. Send me a pic of that. This has been uh, Past Gas. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. I Hopefully by now we're at 100,000 subscribers. Um, I think we will be. You know, tell someone about Past Gas if you like the show. We try to make this a very inclusive um, and show where you don't need to know a lot about cars to, to enjoy it. And I hope that we're accomplishing that mission. Let us know in the comments what you want us to talk about because we get a lot of episode ideas from you guys mm-hmm. uh follow the boys at joe g weber and james pumphrey me at nolan j sykes thank you very much to our editor bridget and our writer thomas be kind i love you keep it juice <laughs> see you next time
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.